Hello, and welcome to this episode of STATS, the podcast where we share the accomplishments of the Department of Surgery at Baylor Scott & White Medical Center in Temple, Texas. I'm your host, Dr. Lonnie Gentry. The STATS podcast is sponsored by Dr. Harry Papa Constantino, the chair of the Department of Surgery. With this episode, we continue our series on robotics and surgery by discussing the use of robotics in acute care surgery. To do so, I have invited Dr. Chad Hall to speak with me today. Dr. Hall has been here at Temple for 10 years and is a busy acute care surgeon. Dr. Hall, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. It's good to be here. I know we've been waiting for a couple of weeks and got hit with some bad weather, so I'm glad we were able to sit down and do that. I am too, yes. So to get started, tell me a little bit about why you became a doctor, uh, how you ended up in acute care surgery, and finally, how you ended up here at Temple. Yeah, uh, it's a interesting story, I think, but I grew up in Nebraska, actually, in a really small town in the northeast part of the state, and I always enjoyed stimulating my mind with science and math, challenging myself in school, and then I went went to the University of Nebraska, but I kind of kind of lost track of science or got almost intimidated by science at a major university, and so I changed course and actually went to college as a professional golf management major. <laughs> It was my hope to maybe run a golf course and learn the turf grass science and all that. About a weekend, I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to medicine. Is that right? Yeah. So I changed majors like the second week of college as a freshman at the University of Nebraska. And from then, I switched to biochemistry and kept going and said, I'm going to try to go to medicine. You ever regret that decision? No, not (laughs) not a chance. Um, But I was the first person in my family to go to medical school. Uh No physicians, not not even a nurse or any medical person in my family. So it was foreign territory for all of us. Blazing the trail. Blazing the trail, yeah. yeah. What took you to acute care surgery? It was really the, I loved surgery just going into medical school and we started with anatomy the very first month of medical school. And I loved getting my hands on there and doing the dissections and learning anatomy and how it matched with physiology and Acute care surgery in particular, I was drawn to for the high acuity. Um, I enjoy the challenging patients, not knowing what's going to walk into the door, kind of being behind the eight ball right away because patients present at all different stages of their illness. And so I enjoy the challenges that that brings as far as dealing with patients who are very hypotensive or maybe in different periods of sepsis or septic shock and being able to do the surgery that fixes them and also medically stabilize them and get them through their hospital care. That's something I really enjoy. And you did a fellowship in acute care surgery? I did a fellowship in surgical critical care Uh uh, at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. The boards for acute care surgery are kind of unique that our certification is in general surgery and then in surgical critical care. There's an optional year to spend in acute care surgery if you you want to. Uh generally describe the difference between a general surgeon and what you do as an acute care surgeon? I'd say the the big difference is 90% of what I do is unscheduled. Maybe go to sleep at night and wake up. I'm on call the next day and I have no idea what I'm going to get into when I wake up that morning. Versus a general surgeon is a lot of clinic and meeting patients on an elective basis in clinic and scheduling them for surgery. Whereas a majority of my patients come in through the emergency room with acute abdominal pain or an acute illness, and they're not sure what's going on. And so 
uh, we get called to, when surgery is indicated uh, and haven't had a chance to meet the patient until until they present with that mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the evolution of acute care surgery. So now it's recognized more or less as its own specialty. Yeah. The important thing with acute care surgery, we really have to understand the history, you have to understand kind of what we do in the hospital. And so acute care surgeons are usually part of a bigger group. And so there are eight of us here at Baylor Scott and White and Temple that do acute care surgery. And we really kind of wear three hats and sometimes all three hats at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we manage the surgical ICU. Uh, so doing intensive care for surgical and trauma patients. Uh, we are trauma surgeons, so anyone who's involved in car accidents or gunshot mm-hmm. wounds uh, who come in following a trauma, we'll take care of them. And then we do the emergency general surgery. So those are your patients who come to the emergency room with an acute surgical need, whether it be appendicitis or a bowel obstruction or a perforation of intestines. You know, we'll take care of all of that. Um, so acute care surgery, the foundation of it really started with trauma. And recognizing that there needs to be surgeons in the hospital to take care of patients that come in traumatically injured. Uh, and we need to have surgeons in the hospital to resuscitate them, give them blood products, stabilize their injuries, and, and take care of them in the ICU. And so from that, there couldn't be general surgeons around all the time to take on that responsibility. And it required special training. And from there, it became those trauma surgeons then can also do the emergency general surgery and are in the ICU. And putting those three pillars together is what, how acute care surgery came to be as a surgical specialty. So my understanding is that acute care surgery was originally maximally invasive. And was that your experience in training? <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, the maximally invasive part probably comes from our trauma surgeon roots. And, uh-huh. uh, Getting, uh, you know, big incisions for quick exposures and uh, quickly solve the problem or find the bleeding or fix the bleeding. Um, you know, when patients come in and hemorrhagic shock, it's usually not worried about the size of the incision you make. You just want to fix the problem. Save their life. Yeah, save their life. And so that's probably where the uh, maximally invasive well, surgeon. I made be. that up kind of where I saw it somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's as opposed wrong. to minimally. Yeah, yeah. it's not wrong. Um, you know, but as. Surgery has progressed and minimally invasive surgery has caught on over the past 20 to 30 years. We have really transitioned to being minimally and maximally invasive surgeons kind of when, when it's indicated, depending on the patient, the situation. And so there is this shift that's come on with uh, surgery generally is the minimally invasive shift, less impactive possible when, when you're able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not quite as big a surgery. And recently, it's the robot has got involved. Is that a really on the cusp right now of the use of the robot in acute care surgery? And yeah, I think pretty it is, recent thing. It is a pretty recent thing. I think we as acute care surgeons, just like all other types of surgeons, are under the same pressure. Isn't the right word, but trying to make the right decision for patients to how can we get the operation done with smaller incisions and less pain and a shorter hospital stay and getting them home to, you know, our number one goal is for the patient to make a full recovery as quickly as possible, even as acute care surgeons. So part of that is 
and minimally invasive techniques. Uh, and I think the robot provides a new platform for minimally invasive surgery with exposures and visualizations and instruments that we've never had before. And utilizing that in acute care surgery, I think, is just what we've done so far is kind of at the tip of the iceberg for what the potential that it has. Would you say there's any particular needs that are conducive to the robot in acute care surgery that you're more apt to use the robot or is it just depend? I think there's definitely patient selection plays a huge part of it, but certainly there are some pathologies that we see in acute care surgery with certain bowel perforations or obstructions, diaphragm injuries, where the visualization the robot provides and the instrumentation uh, allow us to use that platform, use the robot with more success than we've ever had with standard laparoscopy. Tell me if I'm correct here. So there's a bit of a trade-off, it seems like. There, it does take time to get a patient ready mm-hmm. to, to do the robot. But you're able, in certain cases, the tools that are available to you make it worth that extra time. Definitely. Again, it's patient selection and just like standard laparoscopy and other minimally invasive techniques that patients have to meet some checkpoints or they have to be hemodynamically stable. You know, so you have to have time where you don't have to rush them up to the operating room, but time to kind of plan the surgery out. Uh, and if they can tolerate, you know, we blow the abdomen up with carbon dioxide so we can see. And so they have to be able to tolerate that from a hemodynamic standpoint. And then Sometimes if they're obstructed, the intestines might be big and dilated. And so different things or different caveats to using minimally invasive techniques. You know, if the patients meet all those check marks and we deem them a good candidate, the robot can certainly be helpful for completing the surgery. So you did a nighttime robotic acute care surgery recently. I did. (laughs) Was that the first time that has really come together? Like It was. It was the first time at night. And you had staff here? Uh, I was. That possible? I did have staff here, and um, our that night, our nurse in the room had never done a robotic case, and she is a a regular nighttime nurse. Uh, but our tech happened to be uh, a tech that was just covering at night, but had a lot of daytime experience, and she had done a lot of robotic cases. So it's kind of a perfect combination, and so that way I knew I thought about using the robot for this case, and I went and looked at the team and talked to the team, and so I had. You know, some hesitancy, but also some full support. And I was like, tonight's the night. We're going to do it. And so mm-hmm. I told our nurse, I was like, I'll, I can help you through it. And I just bring the patient to the room. We'll get everything ready. It'll be fine. We'll get, get the case done. I uh, advocated that I thought it was the best way to do the operation at that point in time. And everybody was on board. That that's what it was going to take. And it did go well. It did go well. It was a colon perforation uh, that was kind of identified late. And so the patient had free air, what we call free air, air within the abdominal cavity after a colonoscopy. So uh, we knew that you know, there's a perforation somewhere, and then a CAT, a CAT scan kind of showed us it was in the lower part of the left colon. So mm-hmm. I thought the robot was going to provide good visualization uh, of that area, where I could position the camera right over the injury and using my other two instruments to sew the injury up um, through three incisions, each one about the size of a nickel versus doing a big cut and having to mobilize the whole colon over, which is what I would have to do with other types of surgery. So where did you get your robotic training? I got it here, actually, at 
Baylor Scott and White as a resident. Oh, uh-huh. I think we started robotic colorectal surgery pretty early, and as far as the time frame of using robots in general surgery, I got a lot of experience doing colon surgery on the robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the past couple of years, the amount of robotic surgery we're doing here is has grown exponentially. Mm-hmm. I bet that was gratifying. It was. Yeah. yeah, it was fun just to see the patient do well. It was pain free and on day one and bowel function returned and, and the outcome was really good. And just knowing that we did that surgery, was ready to go home the next day was, was really gratifying. So you see more in the future? Absolutely. As the opportunity arises. Yeah, I wish, you know, there, like we said, this talked about this patient selections. You know, we're, we're always looking, we're always trying to find that next patient and the next case to do on the robot. Uh, unfortunately it's not for everybody so we just have to choose wisely one of the first questions i ask myself is will they meet robotic criteria mm-hmm. or can i do it on the robot and uh, if the answer is no then we proceed but if the answer is yes then we move to the next step and see you know, what needs to be done uh, to use it use the robot for the case robotic surgical patients usually go home sooner i guess that's a general statement but generally speaking yeah the, the impact on the body is less and it it does seem to be, you know, some of those mm-hmm. things we probably will never be able to study appropriately mm-hmm. or research it quite right. I'd say anecdotally, there's it seems that the surgery we can do on the robot is less traumatic to mm-hmm. not only the muscles of the abdominal wall and less pain, but you know, bowel function seems to be returned faster. Patients are up and moving quicker, and overall, I've been very impressed with how patients respond uh, mm-hmm. with robotic surgery. How does Baylor Scott and White Medical Center here at Temple facilitate the use of the robot? Uh, I think the big thing is we've recognized as a team, not only surgeons, but everyone who works in the operating room, that this is a useful platform for all types of surgery. So there's no bucket that says the robot, it, the robot has to be only used for this type of operation. But really, our minds have shifted to say, you know, Dr. Hall is a trauma surgeon, but he's also a robotic surgeon. And if he says, the robot's the best way to get this case done. We're going to make it work. And I think that holds true for other specialties doing robotic surgery as well. And so I think we've grown in here. We've grown in access, you know, more robotic systems, uh, opening those systems to after hours operations and training our staff to you know, be familiar with the ro- robots as far as setting it up and turning it on and getting patients there and ready for a robotic operation. So all those things have come together over the past couple of years to really make it a service line that can perform 24 hours a day. You've pretty much answered this question, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Acute care patients don't always get a choice. You know, <laughs> if you're in a car wreck, you go where the ambulance goes. But let's say there is some, I guess you do get some walk-ins, some people mm-hmm. that walk in. Why would they want to come here or why would they pick here over that? What would you tell a potential patient like that, that they're going to get here, perhaps not anywhere else? I think one, I really believe in the care we provide for our patients. I think our outcomes are good. I think everyone on the team, every person you would interact with as a patient is really going to have have you in mind as the patient of uh, getting that best recovery you can. From a surgical perspective, I think we have a group of surgeons that it's not my way or the highway, or this is how we've always done it. I think we're trying to be cutting edge as far as how can we make this operation better? Uh, and I think the robot is a 
tool is an instrument that says, you know, we can do your operation maybe three different ways. And for a number of patients, the robot might be the best platform to do that operation. Unfortunately, we have a group of surgeons who are well-trained to provide that care, whether it be coming in through the emergency department or uh, kind of scheduled in clinic. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the future of robotic surgery and acute care? What kind of things do you see down the road that's going to enable the robot to be used uh, more often in acute care? Mm -hmm. I think there are certain patients and injury patterns or disease processes that we're going to become, I don't want to use the word, the term push the envelope because it sounds like we're experimenting Mm -hmm. when we're not, but we're applying the robot in a way that's just a new instrument to use to do the operation. It's not a new operation we're doing. It's just a new instrument to do the operation or help us do the operation. And so I think there are other disease processes that we haven't tapped into yet, such as bad pancreatitis that needs surgical drainage or you know, even stab wounds in a hemodynamically stable patient to go in and do uh, a bowel surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, those patients could theoretically go home the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, those type of things that we haven't moved the envelope that much yet, but I, I think those times are coming. And it really, we just have to think outside the box more mm-hmm. and be willing to uh, to try those things. Do you see the robotic platform itself becoming less time-consuming as far as setup? that the transition in there is going to become quicker? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the more people you have familiar with it, the more repetitions. A lot of surgery is repetition-based. And so uh, getting everyone on board and ready to go and ready to spring into action with the robot, it'll definitely get faster. Good teams. Yeah. Well, Dr. Hall, thanks for talking to me today. I wish you the best. And I look forward to seeing the progress that's made for patient care with the use of the robot through Temple. Sounds like you'll be very much a part of that. And it's exciting to look down that crystal ball and see what's coming. Yeah, it's been great to be here. Thank you. You bet. That concludes this episode of Stats. Be on the lookout for the next episode of Sharing the Accomplishments of Temple Surgeons.